Hey, dancers, teachers, and studio owners. Listen to the Choosing Dance Flooring episode for a chance to win a free Roscoe Marley Matt Home Studio Dance Kit, and you could be a lucky winner just like Liz Cooper from Chicago. Welcome, dance teachers and dance studio owners. Joining us today in the studio is the one and only Ree Gold. Welcome, Ree. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about this. I'm excited to talk to you today. So you have been a dancer and a leader and a mentor and a teacher for many years. And I invited you here today because it appears that you have devoted your entire life and your entire career to helping dance teachers and studio owners be the best that they can be. Would you say that's accurate, Ray? I'd say that is my ultimate goal put into uh, some really good words there, my friend. I'm so curious, when did that idea come to you and how did you get started in that direction? I grew up in the studio. My mother had a studio that started in the basement of our home in 1964. And as I was growing up, I could feel the passion inside of dance. My mother used to assist Gus Giordano, who was a a master, a jazz master. And my mother would be in the kitchen and she'd be working on whatever she was going to be assisting him with, usually some piece of choreography or something. And I could feel the passion in her, like if you caught her eyes while she was doing this. So I always felt this passion. And then as I was growing up, I also felt like dance teachers were apprehensive with each other, even though they all shared the same passion. So at a young age, even like 14, 15 years old, I was like, okay, We all love to do the same thing. Why is it that we're not kind of all working together, uh, loving each other because we we have the same passion? And it was about that time that light bulbs started going off in my head. What were you doing in your life career at that time? I was teaching. And one of the places that I was teaching at that that also changed my perspective on dance education was a low-income housing project, which was in the same city as my mother's school. But these kids were kids that basically couldn't afford to go to a regular dance studio. It, It was their community center there. And I put on a recital. I was 15, 16. Actually, 15, 16, 17, I did it for three years, but I put on that first recital and all of these kids' parents brought food and I saw families like these kids didn't have both parents, the majority of them, but I did see both parents at the recital and I saw grandparents and I saw families coming together for these kids who were growing up roughly, probably didn't have many times that their families came together to celebrate them. And I can remember going home from that recital and going, wow, it's more than the steps 
this dance thing can change people's lives, can change kids' lives in a way that isn't about how good they become or how great a choreographer that I am. It's about building community of people who love to dance and who get together to celebrate those who love to dance. Yeah, so then you saw that, and as a teenager, you wanted to spread that word somehow to other people to help them see the same things that you see and to make dance teaching better? It took a while. Around 17, I started with a group of dancers. We were known as, my mother's name was Sherry Gold, and we were known as the Sherry Gold Dancers. We were a performing group. We got a job in Las Vegas, but the contingency on this job was that we had to have new costuming. That's what the agent who was booking this job insisted. So we needed at the time like five or $6,000. And we ran a dance competition in Connecticut. My mother had run them before in Massachusetts. We ran that dance competition to raise the money to buy the costumes to go to Las Vegas. That competition continued for 24 years, became American Dance Awards. At the, when it started, it was called American Dance Spectrum. So for 24 years, I traveled this country and Canada running those dance competitions. It was really there that I discovered that what I was thinking needed to somehow come to fruition because at the time, I, I'm dating myself here, but here goes, you know, people would come down with their cassette tapes and lay them on my table and they would say, oh, I'm so tired, I'm so burned out and this kid's out of this number and this mother wants to know if we can move this to this time. And all these teachers and studio owners were feeling burnout and nobody was doing anything about it or even mentioning it. Or, or I think even if you asked those teachers, they would have denied feeling burnout, right? It was not even a, a, a concept at the time. So when the competition ended, not ended, I sold the company to a business partner I had taken in. The first thing I did was started this this seminar called Project Motivate. And it was for teachers and studio owners to hang out, reevaluate why we do what we do, and to work together to grow our businesses, to better understand marketing. I mean, when we first started, this is how long ago it is now, we had a guy come in who talked to everybody about what the best phone book ad was. That's how long ago this was. <laughs> but it was the beginning of all of what I do now. When I did Project Motivate, I had 20-something people the first time. I think the number was 22, but I'm not positive. The next year, I only had six. Really? And I was nervous that this thing wasn't going to work that I wanted to do. And then after a while, it took about four years, five, I went into Boston to a hotel and I had like 150 people. And I thought that was an enormous 
event and I couldn't believe that I had pulled it off. And now sometimes there's as many as eight or 900 people there. It's, it's really, it worked. Yes, it did work. And I've heard the greatest things about it from so many people. So it's definitely working. When you did that, you wanted to share ideas. You wanted people to come together. You wanted them to find the joy that they were obviously missing, even if they didn't know they were missing it. When you wanted to do all of this, was there no one else doing it? No, nobody was doing it. And for a long time, I was the only one because it was Project Motivate and nobody was there but dance teachers. It was Mm -hmm. when I went to a conference format and had exhibitors there, people in our fields, that people started to do things similar to what I am doing. It took a while. You have to realize in our industry, something that has 20 people at it doesn't seem too exciting. It takes until it has 500 or 600 people at it till someone looks and says, what's, what's this thing that this guy is doing? So now there are many entities who are doing what I'm doing. And sometimes... I look at it and I feel like, wow, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep up. And other times I think to myself, wow, look at all of these people that are being helped in this world that Mm -hmm. were like my mother, which was alone and on a deserted island. So I see the positiveness that has come out of it. And actually, my own business has continued to grow through all these years. So that's a good concept for our studio owners that are listening is this. If you worry about a a studio opening up the street or you compare yourself to a studio that exists up the street, the more time that you spend focused on that fact and not focused on your own business, (laughs) the more that reality comes into place that that studio becomes a threat because your mindset is on that studio. My thought is you buckle up your bootstraps, whatever, and you just use it as motivation to grow and, and make yourself better at what you do. So you leave the other people in the dust. That's an important thing in our field. A lot of teachers compare themselves or look, or studio owners, or look to other studio owners and want what they have. When in reality, I look at our field as unique to each individual studio owner that my model may not work for Sally because Sally's demographics are different. Sally's ultimate goals are different. Just we are, we have two different personalities. So I look at this whole dance industry as let's get every kid dancing and in every city and town across this country. And there's plenty of kids for all of us. That's exactly what I'm thinking. I've been doing this for about 35 years. And early on, it was like, there's so much competitiveness with each other, the other studios. It's almost like you're enemies with the other studios in the town. And even the students talk badly sometimes about the other studio. And I just think that's bizarre and ridiculous. And there are so many children in this world, to your point. I can't teach them all. 
I can't even teach all the children in my neighborhood if I wanted to. So there's room for me and there's room for another studio. And of course, we're going to be different because we're different people and we have different ways and goals. And this is exactly why I'm doing this podcast, to offer and share thoughts and ideas so that we can all become exactly what we want to do. And it's going to be different. Somebody's just going to get one idea from you or me and make it their own. But I am so into sharing And I love what you've done because you're bringing people together and sharing as much as possible and elevating the whole industry. I'm going to take you back to something you said earlier that I just will drive home the point. You realize how difficult it is for us as studio owners to be friends with the studio owner who is in the same town. But if that studio owner is an hour or more away, we can be their best friend. So there's something wrong. (laughs) with that concept. And I look at it and I say, okay, I'm uh, going to be the one in this community who invites the other studios to what I do or, or somehow breaks this barrier that keeps us separated or full of judgment of each other. Because in reality, if you think about it, it's a lack of confidence in ourselves when we worry about what the competitor is doing, right? Because if we said, if we said, hey, I've been at this 22 years, I know what I'm doing, I have 22 years of experience, I can deal with this, and you can, you're going to have a much better future than the person who now is in what I would call a war with the other studio. Therefore, Like you said, it influences the kids, and that's not what dance education is about. We have to teach the kids to respect others who love to do the same thing that they do. That has to be our message. And to be teaching them not to be afraid of the other studios. Mm. I mean, that we're just doing us. You be you. Doing you might mean that you are awesome with preschoolers or early childhood and you focus on that and you build this base so you end up with the largest school in the whole community because you've got all these preschoolers that are coming to you year after year and you're building your future or you are into the recreational kids or your hip-hop program is outstanding what is it that you bring to the table that can make you stand out from the rest and then sell that product instead of looking around and going, oh, well, she just added a contemporary aerial class, so now I'll have to add a contemporary aerial class. No, you need to find out if anybody signs up for her contemporary aerial class before you start running one. This is the base of my whole philosophy, actually. I love it. So my studio, I started with three-year-olds and it grew. But by the time the kids were 13, our studio space was so tiny, they physically, literally grew out of the studio. And I was trying to find another studio to move into. And long story short, I decided the best thing for my students was to send them off to all these other wonderful studios that were in the area. So I had to go out and 
make friends with all of these other studios, and they rolled out the red carpet for our students, had open houses, tried to tempt them to come to them. And to this day, that's been going on for 18 years. People want our students to come to their studio, so they bend over backwards to make that happen. And our students know that they have the choice, and they go around and check out all the different studios and see which one fits them best. And even though I didn't start out for it to be this way, it turned out to be the absolute best thing I could have done for my students because they are also so different and need different things. We have some studios that are very theater-based or some studios that are competition-based or some very serious ballet schools. And all the kids have different interests. So I serve them until they're 13, give them the best solid base I can give them, and then I let them fly in the direction that will be the best for them, which is pretty unique in our business, I think. I don't think a lot of people do it that way. It is unique. I'm going to say there aren't a lot of people who do it that way, but I completely respect it. You know what your niche is. You know what you're good at. You're probably respected by all of these studios around you because they would like to have your students join them when the time comes. It's what you do best. It's the niche that you landed in. How cool is that? I think this is evolving and changing now, but we measured our success, or a lot of studio owners did in the last couple decades by the awards that we won or the kids that moved on to professional careers. When I was talking earlier about burnout, one of the things that I focused in on right away was Why'd you become a dance teacher in the first place? And when you did, and you opened that studio, you would have taught tall, short, medium. <laughs> you would have taught anybody who walked in the door and your chance to choreograph something that was coming out of you and was from your soul was enough to satisfy you. Maybe even watching a child get their first shuffle ball change with four sounds. You felt like a winner. Now, here you are 25, 30 years later and the true satisfaction comes when you win an award with your most advanced dancers. But there isn't any more satisfaction in that recreational class of that girl who just got that shuffle ball change after four years of trying. And that maybe the reality here is we don't determine who's good by the awards that they win because that represents like 5 to 10% of the studio's enrollment. We judge by the impact that you have on your students to give them positive life skills. And we can do that with every child. And... Even the girl who never gets a full ball change and you look at and say, I can't believe she's back again. And she registers, okay? And she's there with you for nine years. You put a passion inside of her. That was what your duty was. That makes you a winner. I tell my, my teachers all the time, there are some students and you wonder if they want to be there. They don't even seem happy, 
But for some weird reason, they come back and they come back and they come back. And we have to say to ourselves, they are here for a reason. We don't know what that reason is, but we need to serve them in the best possible way because they're showing up for us. And sometimes, you know, their body language looks like they don't want to be here, but you're right. They'll, sometimes they come for nine years and you find out it was the best thing in their life. You get a letter or an email five or six years later from one of those kids. And there you were traveling every weekend with these intensive kids and competitive kids. And you weren't even noticing this girl who writes you and says, you had such an impact on me. Yes, we have to try to notice every single student in an equal way. They are not equal dancers, but they are equal people. And they're there before us. And we need to give them our very best, whatever that is for that student. Agreed. This episode is brought to you by Mixtape Studios, a full-service recording studio online at mynewmixtape.com. A one-stop shop for all your recital and competition music editing needs. Why don't you explain to us what Dance Life Teacher Conference is? Because I've wanted to attend this for years. I've heard from some really excellent people that every dance teacher should go to this. So can you tell us all what it is and what you do there? I'm going to start off with this. It's about creating a vibe that these three days are about you rejuvenating your dance teacher's spirit. Yes, there are classes and workshops and classes for your preschool and early childhood or classes for kids with learning differences and hip-hop and contemporary and all the other styles of dance and even some things that are unique to our field. And there's business classes and administrator sessions. But the reason the conference is a success is because Everybody who works for us wants the attendees to go home ready to roll, ready to to tackle whatever comes their way, especially in the last couple of years. People always say, well, you do so well. Everybody comes and they get so inspired. It's in the walls. It's a part of who we are. So it's easy to make that happen. It's almost like I don't get why other people can't make that happen. And one of the things that I'm the proudest of when it comes to the conference is you'll go into a ballroom that's, let's say, an intermediate hip-hop class with Gio Hubella, and there's 125 teachers on the floor taking it, not sitting on the side, watching it, taking it. And I think that that makes a big difference when a studio owner or a teacher can feel comfortable enough to get back into the classroom and dance and have nobody judging them and just dancing is part of what rejuvenates the dance teacher spirit. It's it's so cool. It's about focusing on all the gifts that being a dance teacher or a studio owner bring our way and reminding everybody. 
And do you have business classes also? Do dance workshops? In the last year, we had two studio owner office administrator tracks. So you had two options during every hour of the conference. Some more administrator focused, others more focused on business growth, marketing, organization systems. So an office manager can be at the event and be in one ballroom while the studio owner is in the other ballroom. And then the faculty is in the other rooms taking class. So what happens is they all go home (laughs) with the same vibe rather than like just the studio owner came. So therefore she goes back all enthusiastic, ready to do new things, but our faculty and staff don't necessarily got that vibe at that point. It's really a conference for the entire team of a studio, if a person can afford to do that. Do you want to talk about IDEA, International Dance Entrepreneurs Association, and how that's different from Dance Life Teacher Conference? IDEA, which is the International Dance Entrepreneurs Association, was founded in 2016. And it is an association for dance studio owners. So although there are some movement classes for our members, what we call monthly master classes, the entire focus of the association is on business growth, marketing strategies, There's a library of forms and documents that a member can download that are what could go into a handbook or what are forms to have people fill out. The main backbone of the organization is two or three seminars monthly, business growth seminars. Then our members can either do those seminars as they're happening live or that they can go back and use them on demand. And now that we have been uh, at this for six years, the library of information available to members is enormous. But you want to know something? One of the most active places for IDEA members is our Facebook group. Everybody shares ideas with each other. People ask questions. How do you join that? How do you join IDEA? You can go to ideadance.org, and there's a whole bunch of information there, but you must be a studio owner, and you must agree to abide by the code of ethics. There is a code of ethics for the organization. And how would you join the Facebook group? Do you have to be already a member of IDEA before you can be in the Facebook group? Yes. Mm -hmm. It's part of the member membership. So how would somebody register for Dance Life Teacher Conference? What would they, where would they find that? DanceLifeConference.com. But anybody can find information if they go to re-r-h-e-e-gold.com because that is the main website. It'll direct you to all of the different ventures that are happening. Can you talk to us about Soul? Soul was one of those uh, dreams that I've had for a long time 
since I sold the competition, which was about 2003, I wanted to do something for dancers that was non-competitive. Something that would bring them together to appreciate each other, just dance, learn things that other people weren't offering them. And so during the pandemic, I had some time to think it out. And Soul was born, which is a conference for dancers, their parents, as well as teachers. We had about 350 attendees, 50 parents and 50 teachers, as well as the 250 kids. We did things like college exploration, which meant that Pace University, a few of the other dance-focused universities were there to talk to the kids and parents to explain what the different programs were, what a college is, compared to a conservatory, compared to a university. And then we did things like seminars with just the guys only to talk to the boys We did seminars for kids who think they want to be a dance teacher. And what does that mean? And what direction do you need to head in if that's your goal? We even did a workshop for assistant or apprentice teachers, which was jammed full. So again, it was a dream, but I'm going to say that after the first year, I look at this as the beginning of something totally new and different. And, And what was so cool is parents, which you know, they influence our kids so much. We're leaving there with like, I'm going to be the best mom possible. I'm not going to be that bitchy mom in the waiting room. You know, it was so interesting to listen to the parents and how the discussions changed them. You see, for the parents, they think their kid's success is if they become a professional dancer. We talk to the parents about all the things that dance opens the doors to for their children. Yes. And once they've started seeing that and understanding, I mean, we have people there who were dance writers. We have people there that were um, physical therapists for dancers. And they're making way more money than the one who became a dancer. And so parents' eyes were opened as to what this dance thing can actually do and is doing currently for their children. And to me, that was a huge win to get through to them because you know when they go back to the studio, they may have a positive influence on the other moms and dads whose minds aren't in the right place. Ree, you have these beautiful visions for how you want the dance world to operate, but you don't just think it and you don't just complain about it. You do something about it. So what is it in your personality that lets you take a vision to the next level and share it with the world? I'll say this. First, I'm going to back up and say in response to your question, Many people have seen what I've done that are successes. I've had many things that did not work. So I want, you have to be willing to try something and it does not work. And then whatever it was that you learn from that, you will apply it to the next vision that you have. Like I've learned how to do what I'm good at because 
I wasn't always good at that. So therefore, I had to learn and discover so that I'd be better the next round. So I'm making the point is not everything has worked out. I've had dreams that were like fizzled in one weekend. But it is a sense of doing things when you're ready to do them. I have ideas in my head that have been floating around since my 30s, 40s, that I've never moved forward on because it didn't feel right. This kids thing didn't feel right. The pandemic made it feel right to me. And then, then I also did this. So I'm, I'm, I'm being a businessman at the same time. I could take this shot with Soul if I connected it to the conference because I'm already in a hotel with stages, lighting, all of this stuff. So in case this isn't going to work, if I attach it to this conference, I know that I could pull this off no matter how many people end up coming. So to me, it's being smart, knowing that the time is right for this concept or idea that you have. And know this, once you get the concept or idea, this is important for everyone listening, you have to leave no stone unturned. It isn't about just putting it out there. For soul to work, I wrote personal emails to dance studio owners that I knew and explained what I was trying to do here. And when I did that, I was hoping somebody would come with 75 kids or a whole bunch of people would come with 75 kids. What happened was a whole bunch of people came, like 60 studios, with four or five kids to check it out. Mm-hmm. or with their own kid. And what a great experience. If you're the studio owner and you bring your child to Seoul, it's a perfect event for that type of uh, relationship. You must have some fear about putting your ideas out there in the world and opening up these businesses and hoping they work. I mean, how do you kind of conquer your fear to try something new and be big? I think you might look at it that way. I look at it as the normal path that I'm on. Like this leads to this and this leads to this. And know this, there's things I've let go of. I published Dance Studio Life magazine from 2004 to 2014, no, 2018. But there came a point where I either had to take this company and become a virtual magazine or stop. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go through this whole process and investment of becoming an online entity. And after doing research, it was 20% of print publications that went online survived. So I said to myself, this could take me down. So this is something that isn't going to be a part of my future. But you have a podcast. Is that where the podcast idea came from? No, I I have another company called the Gold Alliance. And the Gold Alliance is a group of studio owners who are really into the business. Like it's a mastermind group. We meet every Friday. 
We have different seminars with speakers, authors, etc. We share ideas with each other. We help each other to grow businesses, to grow each other's businesses, etc. So I have a cohort in that, and she's from Australia. Her name is Stacy Morgan. And she's the one who said, I want to do a podcast with you. And I was hesitant about it at the beginning. And now I love it. Every time we get together, we talk. I was hesitant because I didn't want to add another thing to my plate. As much as you, you look and go, you have no fear. I have added a lot of things to my plate. Now Mm -hmm. I'm in the mode of my career where I'm saying, what are the things that mean the most? Isn't it so hard? I'm 54 years old at this moment. There are so many things that mean the most, and I want to do so many things. And it's hard to decide which one to let go. It is hard. If you advertised here, you'd be hearing your ad right now. For more information on advertising on this podcast, Email Sally Valet at hotmail.com or call 703-981-0718. And I like what's fresh and new. Like if you said read, I don't want my idea members to hear this or anybody, but they probably <laughs> will. I love this kids thing that I'm doing right now. I love that I got the feedback on it, like I look at that as so much potential, so many kids could be reached. So I look at what I'm letting go of as what have I done in the past that isn't serving me as well or serving everybody as well that I can either let go of or change. So how can people listen to your podcast? Where would they find that? It's called Regold's Dance Like Podcast, and you can find it at both... Apple Music and Spotify? Yes. I follow it. I listen to it. So what do you like most right now that you see in the dance industry, and what do you like least? When it comes to what I might not like, it is putting too much emphasis on the competition world. It's... Us complaining as studio owners or teachers about judges, the awards, making so much out of it and therefore it makes it so much for our kids and their parents that they believe that dance and competition go hand in hand. And I fear that our future will be very much competition focused and I'd like us to not go in that direction. What's your favorite thing that you see that you want to see more of? That people are breaking out of the normal business model of uh, ballet, tap, jazz, and a recital at the end of the year. That people are starting to do um, certifications in early childhood teaching, certifications in preschool, certifications in acrobatic arts. And that We're expanding what we offer. I want to say this to everybody. I'm going to do a keynote speech on this in a couple weeks. I think the dance field right now is we can do almost anything we want to. You just have to decide what that is. Okay? 
you could be um, somebody who is running your normal 10-month or 9-month program that's offering six-week programs at the same time uh, for the parents that are not necessarily ready to make a commitment to a whole season, but after they did your six-week program, they end up loving it and signing up for the whole season. Teaching kids with learning differences or disabilities is a big market for us. I feel like the possibilities are endless if we want to be creative. And imagine what it is that you would love to see happening under the roof of your studio and then figure out how to make it happen. But don't look to the studio up the street and see what they're doing and try to make what they're doing happen under your roof because that won't work. Know this if you're a studio owner. You grew up with a certain group of educators. You grew up with a certain set of parents or guardians who took care of you. Your education is different from the person up the street. What we bring to our art form is our uniqueness. If you are willing to go with what that uniqueness projects in your mind as to what would make you happy and and make your school a success, you can have it if you want it. And like I said earlier, you're in the mood to leave no stone unturned. A piece of being successful is, yes, you might have to stay up till three o'clock in the morning to get something done. Yes, you might have to give up Friday nights because your rehearsals landed on Friday nights because that's the only night you could do it. If you're not willing to leave no stone unturned, then don't try it. Stick to what's working. That's Wonderful. You are such a light of positivity and sharing with all the dance teachers and the dance studio owners that I'm so grateful that you are out there and that you've put your life uh, work into helping and sharing and trying to give to everybody that is interested in being their unique best dance teacher and dance studio owner. So I'm so grateful that you do what you do, Ray. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here and talking with us today. Thank you for those very kind words. I appreciate it. I um, don't know any other way. It's, it's what I was put here to do. And uh, I love our field. I think we're in the greatest profession of them all. And my reason for saying that is Who else gets to go in a room and lose themselves in the movement, the music, the kids? And that's how you make a living. If you really break it down, we're in, I say, the greatest profession in the world. Some people might say one of the greatest, but yeah. And let's appreciate it. And let's appreciate every kid who flows through our classroom. They're there for a reason. And they all can develop a passion for dance. They don't have to do five pirouettes to develop a passion for dance. I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. On the next episode, join us as we discuss why the proper insurance coverage is critical to running a successful dance studio. 